back to Mina Dobbs' Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Wendy Liron. I am an education coordinator at MinAdopt. Today we're talking about children's mental health in our Foster Care 101 series. We're happy to have Dr. Heather Seek with us. Heather Seek is a licensed outpatient therapist. She primarily works with children, adolescents, and families. Her specialty is working with childhood trauma, anxiety, and children with behavioral difficulties. Heather is also an adoptive mom. Discussed today will be children and youth coming into out-of-home care who often have deep experiences of trauma, which can lead to or exacerbate underlying mental health concerns. Join us to learn more about how to identify and address mental health concerns in children you care for. Welcome, Heather. I think this is such an important topic all the time and especially now. So let's start out with what are the biggest challenges for mental health among youth today? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is such a topic that I feel passionate about and that I am working with every day clinically. And so I am so happy to share what I'm seeing clinically in my current um, caseload and clinic. Um, So the question you asked is, what are the biggest challenges for mental health among youth today? And when reflecting and thinking about that, I am seeing a significant amount of referrals specifically for anxiety. Um, I've been a practicing clinician for about 13 years, just over 13 years, and I have really noticed a significant increase in the number of youth, teens, children that I am seeing with generalized anxiety. More specifically, what I mean by that is anxiety about the future. Um, Where am I going to go to college? Am I going to pass this test? Am I going to be invited to this sleepover? Um, Am I going to make the volleyball team? So lots of futuristic anxiety that I am seeing within my office. Um, Kind of more specifically, I'm seeing higher rates of social anxiety. And I would like to hypothesize that that is likely due to COVID. Um, Post-pandemic, I've seen a lot more youth really struggle with feeling comfortable in the school setting, feeling comfortable in social settings, just because we didn't have that for so long. Um, And so I'm seeing a lot more increases with just uncertainty in those social settings, in relationships, in church groups, in schools, kind of an overall um, across the board increase in social anxiety. Oh, that makes that makes so much sense. I, I know that myself as an adult am feeling that. Things that I ordinarily would have thought, oh, that sounds so fun. I'll do that. Mm-mm, I don't want to really go anywhere. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I can understand how it would be that way for youth, for sure. When I, during the pandemic, um, when the school started in-person learning again, I would say over 90% of my youth that I was serving clinically did not want to return to in-person just because they were in their comfort zone of being at home with the online learning. But what we know is they need to be in school. We're seeing that the results of being in in in-person learning are not only 
better for educational learning, but for social learning and for relationships. And so once they got over that hump, um, they were able to recognize that. But like I said, I would say probably over 90% of my clients I was treating um, were really hesitant to not returning back in person because of that anxiety and social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really understandable. I, I know my granddaughter who's 10 um, had that exact thing. She just, she hadn't been out of the house for so long yeah. that it's overwhelming to have to think of anything, even as simple as getting on the bus. I would yes, say. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, you know, there was different um, things in place, masks were being worn, social distancing mm-hmm. lunches. And so it looked different than it did pre-pandemic. And so the adjustment and anxiety about that too, I was seeing a lot of. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you have conversations about mental health in the home? Mm -hmm. Um, I I am seeing, again, an increase of clients that I'm treating that are younger and younger, which is amazing because we know the earlier we intervene and the earlier intervention can occur, the better. And when I'm seeing those young kiddos, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing families are starting to have these conversations about mental health in their home early on. Um, And so I tell families, it's really important to normalize anxiety, to say things like, everyone has worries. Mom has worries that she worries about. Um, You know, your older sister has worries. She can share some of those with you. And so if you have a child struggling with anxiety or depression or, you know, some pretty significant trauma triggers, don't solely make it about them. Try to normalize it and generalize it because what we know is a lot of people do have some difficulties that they struggle with. Um, And so I think normalizing, talking about it, also having those tough conversations, saying, therapy is okay. Um, If you yourself as a parent have gone to therapy, sharing, I strongly believe to share that with your child. If you yourself as a parent take medication, share that with the child to again, normalize it and to help destigmatize it. Um, I'll share an example. Just last week in my office, I had a mom who takes an anxiety medication who herself, she's really been struggling lately with her anxiety. And she said she sat down with her eight-year-old daughter, who's my client, and just shared with her about that. You know, I'm sorry if I'm I'm in my room a lot lately. Um, I've really been struggling with my anxiety and I'm adjusting my meds. And she said her daughter responded really well to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And having that conversation was really powerful. And I think that that's where we start. We start with talking about it and normalizing it labeling what is healthy worry and what is kind of where that worry crosses over the line where we need to get concerned about. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's that old saying, name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, the idea that other people are experiencing the same thing. Maybe other children are your age, your classmates are feeling the same way. And in the bigger picture, older, you know, adults are as well. You're not alone in this, I guess, mm-hmm. is an important piece of it. Yeah. That's another thing that I've really um, seen over the course of my 
years of practicing is books. I think books are a great teaching tool. And I have seen uh, a really big increase in books talking about mental health, talking about worries, um, you know, talking about our feelings. And I just think having those books available in your home, um, reading those books with your children, we have seen, because we're seeing such higher rates of anxiety, we have a lot more, you know, workbooks on anxiety and having those accessible to the family opens up that conversation and normalizes mental health. Oh yeah, that's a great, a great idea. I, um, I've always been a big fan of books, but I, I was always just reading them alone in my room, not talking about them with my parents, but that's, that's a great, a great idea. I like that. Yep. Yeah. Well, and even I would think, I don't know, I, I don't watch a lot of movies, but I would think that if there was a movie that you could watch with your kids or one of the, there's so many great cartoon movies out these days. Mm -hmm. That's a way that also is a way to get your children to talk about their feelings and, and sort of bring things out into the open. Um, Clinically, I will do, you know, when I'm working with children and families, I have um, a bunch of different books that I will suggest to the family that they get off of Amazon or order um, and, you know, read and have those conversations. And for so many of my families, that has just been such a helpful tool. Um, and it's opened up, you know, children to share what they worry about and children to share maybe what they're seeing at school. And so I think that that is such a great way to open up those conversations about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. So how does a family, a parent, recognize when mental health services might be appropriate or or needed? And how do you go about seeking out those services? Yes, great question. So I want to start with how do you recognize? I think it's really important to A, recognize that every child or teen is going to have some tough weeks or tough days, and there is going to be some worries that occur. And there's going to be some days maybe where they are just hanging out in their room. So we always want to look at how long does that last? So if we're seeing that as a long-term pattern that is occurring for two weeks or three weeks, um, you know, that's when you want to get concerned. So again, like, is this kind of something that happens um, just, you know, maybe once every six months for a few days after a fight with a friend or a breakup with a partner, or is this becoming like a chronological problem that's uh, really creating some impairments. And so I always talk to parents about impairments. And so what I mean by that is, is the child or teen social, socially isolating at home and in their room where they're not engaging in activities they typically would like to do? Are they sleeping more often than they normally do? Um, so being really in touch with behaviors and length of time, because what we know is for diagnosing and for kind of clinical levels, we always look at how long has this been occurring and to what extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, again, really looking at, and I, I will have families that will come in just for an assessment and just say like, I don't know if this is normal or not. And if you're wondering if it is, talk 
talk with the school counselor and I'll talk about that in a, you know, next or talk with the doctor, get a professional opinion. Sometimes I've had families that have come in and I've said, you know, this isn't really something that I would be worrying about too much. A lot of this is really developmentally appropriate. Um, and so get a professional opinion if it is, if you're kind of on the fence, but it's better to do that than to wait um, before it gets really bad. And we start to see sometimes, you know, high levels of suicide ideation um, and just untreated mental health and teens and youth can really lead to some serious things. So it's better to be more cautious in that area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's the thing I think that, that oftentimes um, parents are uncomfortable talking about those kinds of things. And you know, it's, it's really important to do so, even in back in the day when things were different than they are now, it was, it might have been harder for families to, to look for outside help, but these are, as they say, unprecedented times. And so it calls for more direct action, I believe. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you asked about how families go about seeking out services and so yeah. I think that you know for those listeners out there it it can really depend on where you live uh, because we see access to care look different depending on location and so you know looking at if you're more rural what does that what does that look like or if you're more um, urban what does that look like and so I always say, if you don't know where to start, start with talking with a school counselor. And I have had so many referrals from school counselors and so they can hook you up with services or they can help guide you. Um, or starting in your doctor's office, starting with your pediatrician and saying, you know, where would you suggest that we go for a mental health evaluation because they know, trust me, pediatricians <laughs> are seeing a lot of mental health in their offices. And so I say it's really important to find someone who is going to work well with your child. And so asking, you know, those school counselors or those pediatricians who you might already know a little bit about who might be a good fit and where to go. Um, and so, or asking others, you know, if they have any recommendations. Um, and so I think that those are two really important places where you can get some solid referrals and answers. Yeah, I agree. And another thing that just came to my mind was um, there's an agency called North American Council on Adoptable Children, NACAC, N-A-C-A-C.org, that has um, virtual support groups, which of course, you know, it's easy to say statewide, I guess, because they're virtual, they're worldwide, but um, of adoptive and foster and kinship families, those, their support groups. And they also have a Facebook page. And I, I know that there's a lot of sharing of resources through those kinds of channels. So if it's if support groups are available, well, they are in that way or other ways as well, I think might be a good way to get started. Absolutely. I say, you know, uh, most of my referrals will come from a friend of a friend, you know, oh, my daughter's, my daughter's friend sees you. And so that, and again, that's normalizing that and having those conversations and talking with people you know, you know, talking with the pediatrician, talking with the school. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, the school. Yeah. Well, are there any other closing comments you'd like to share with our audience today? Um, you know, I just want to say that this is such an important topic. And I think that the more we can have these conversations, the more we recognize the importance of promoting positive mental health among children and youth. And I just wanna say thank you for talking about this and having these conversations in your homes and at this agency. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is so important and now more, more than ever. So thank you very much, Heather. That was such useful information. And I also want to let our audience know that MinAdopt has a program called HELP that offers a warm line to resources for adoptive foster and kinship families, including a network of adoption-competent trauma-informed therapists statewide and many other resources as well. So if you go to our website, www.minadopt.org, and click on help, you can see um, all the things that are available through that program. So thank you very much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast, and tune in again soon. Thanks very much.